And I think about that, right? He's going to talk about this foundational truth. And when I think about a foundation for a home, a foundation is, built, is meant to be built upon. And I think about that. If you just lay a foundation and leave it there, you know what that's really called in my estimation? I we are a master builder back there. Vince will correct me, right? But a foundation that's never built upon is a patio. You want to live your life on a patio? Out in the element? The heat, the cold, the bugs? Or do you want to build? Do you want to build a life? you want to build on top of that, that foundation that has security, that safety, that, that is meant to be built upon? Because the foundation that never goes anywhere not only is useless, but what a waste of time. What a, a sad waste of time. That all it was was a patio that was never built upon. And also the writer is going to be talking about this idea of a contrast between mature and an immature person. And this kind of gives some clarity to what we just read. So let's, let's dive into that. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. And just reading that right there in the beginning, there, in, the, in, the, in the language there, there is expressed intention that you will start somewhere and you will move towards maturity. This, just reading this has that implied language that there's motion moving forward. That we're not meant to just stay where we are and stay in this elementary place, but we are meant to be carried away. We're meant to be moved. We're meant to be taught to grow to maturity. And the writer is stating that here, beyond the elementary, elementary teachings. And we see this every day, right? We, we all probably went to elementary school, right? We learned our ABCs and the song for that. Can you imagine if that's as far as you went? Right? You, you, later on in life, right? People, you know, and this is not a knock about people who don't know how to read or anything like that. But if we were taught how to read, but we never put it into practice, and we never given things that are important to read that we don't comprehend, because we're still trying to figure out Dick and Jane. You know, see, see, see Dick run. See Jane run. See Dick run after spot. See Jane run after spot. A 50-year-old man who can't, you know, get beyond that because, because he didn't put it into practice, right? Again, not, not a knock about any, you know, learning disabilities or whatnot, but right? But we learn the ABCs. And to think we never can get to Shakespeare because we're still reading Fun with Dick and Jane. And that's what this person is talking about. The, the ABCs are foundational because everything else we would read is still those same letters, but as we learn and we grow and we learn new words and more complexities, we grow in maturity in our understanding. And then we're able to teach other people and to help our kids do their homework as they learn the ABCs. Or think about that if you went to a doctor. If you, uh, if you had a broken leg bone or somewhere down here you knew it was broken and you go to orthopedic surgeon and you go in and you see the guy and he comes in he's like, let's see, it looks like something's bad. Let's see, wait, head bone's connected to the neck bone, the neck bone's connected to the back bone. And he's trying to sing this song to figure out what's wrong with your leg, like, right? And you're like, no, you know what? I'll go see a different doctor, right? Are you going to stay there? What, you know, for me, I just like, give me something strong to drink and a scalpel and I'll take care of it myself, like... <laughs> Right? you, you got to figure out my leg by singing the, the neck bone song, then we're in trouble. That's what he's talking about. 
You have the basics. You have the elementary truths that are meant to be put into practice and to grow into maturity. But if we stay in this infant level, immaturity, then we can't, I don't know. I, I, say, I don't know if we can say we can't become the people Jesus wants us to be or God calls us to be, but it would be very, very difficult. I'll leave it at that. But right, but growth or maturity in faith helps us to deal with the challenges that will come. And you think about that in your life. The challenges you've had to, to cling on to Jesus on. If you didn't have a growing, um, maturing faith, and I'm going to assume you do, when those trials do come, like Jesus said in the, in, the, uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said right there's the foolish and the wise builder. They both heard, but one put into practice and one didn't. It says, and when the storms come. Not if, but when. And I've had storms in my life. You have storms in your life now and in the past and the future. And when they come, if I don't have a stronger faith that I can cling to the truth of who Jesus is, I will be destroyed. And that's what he's talking about here. That, that we need to start with the elementary truths, but we need to grow in them for the life that God is calling us to live. So he says, therefore, let us move beyond that. To, toward maturity. And he goes on now, he's going to get specific on some things. He says, not laying again the foundation, the foundation of our faith, of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God. Right? And a foundation in Jesus is part of the key um, purposes of this person writing this letter, this book. Is we know the foundation that we can build our lives upon on the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And so he's coming up and he's saying, hey, you know these foundational truths. And he's going to rattle them off. But it's interesting that he doesn't go into clarity or depth on any of these. Because why? I presume he's already taught them or they already know deeper meanings of these. So he's just going to give a, 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 just a high brush over and just a, a, a list and move on. Because they should already know these things. So this idea of a foundation, that which we can build our lives upon. And this first element, one of six, and there's three couplets of two that the writer lists. These first two are, are probably the more foundational two. Repentance from acts that lead to death. That's the first one. Right? Repentance means that you're going in one direction, and you understand that's a wrong direction, and you do a complete turnabout and head back toward Right? And so that's what it is in our life when we're living a life of sin. We're living a life of rebellion. We're going away from God. And hopefully at some point we hear the message of Jesus and we repent and we turn toward God. And he needs to add some, uh, some, some interesting language here. It says, repentance from acts that lead to death. And in the context here, uh, this can really mean one of only two things. Either it, were, it, it was Jews that were part of the Jewish faith that had learned about Jesus, and he was from the Messiah, he is the Messiah, and they made a decision for him. Or it was, it, it was um, Greek or, you know, pagan believers or people who came to faith in Christ, and, and that's it. So there's, there's two things that could be meant here by acts that lead to death. Either if they were the, the Gentiles who came to faith, if they were thinking about returning back to that, Whatever it was that they were returning back to had no life to begin with anyhow. And so 
you're repenting from acts that lead to death, right? Those, those acts, those religious rituals you were going through did not give you life. If it was to the Jews that he's talking about, the reality was that, that element of the law and what Moses wrote was meant, was meant to bring them to Messiah. And then as we see, as we'll go through the rest of the studies, if you've read Hebrews, you see that the old is going away and soon disappear, and the new has come in Christ. There's no going back. And, you're, and, and that would be the writer here talking to the Jews. that You're going back to a system that is done that's obsolete. You have nothing to go back to either. So what are you going, what would you go back to? So repent from those dead acts, those things that won't bring life to you, whether it's going back to your pagan lifestyle or back to an obsolete system that is disappearing. The Apostle Paul, would, in, in one of my other favorite books, in Colossians, would put it this way. Since you died with Christ to the elementary spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based merely on commands, human commands, and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any true value of restraining sensual indulgences. It's like going through the motion or, or following some set of rules. It's not about following the rules. But yet here, Paul's writing that. And in this context, it also adds Gnosticism, right? There was this belief that there was a special knowledge that these people didn't have, that if you had that, then it would be complete. But how many times do we, do we have that temptation to go back to following a set of rules or wanting to fit in and maybe living by the way of this world, which has no true way of dealing with what we're talking about? Right? Restraining sin, dealing with sin, restraining with the temptations. And that's what Paul's writing about here. And as I was thinking about that this week, just this idea of like of following rules, that that's what we get stuck in, or that's this routine that we want to go back to, the law, we miss the mark. It's about relationship. It always was about relationship. And God gave the law to the, to the Jews to show them how much they make mistakes as much as the other people, but he provided a system to cover that until Messiah came. It's kind of like being in a marriage, right? People are like, like, my goal for my marriage with my wife is for it to be peace and, and harmony and, and mutual love and all these things like that. So I do things to honor my wife and to protect our marriage that aren't a set of rules, right? I, I, how do you see this in the, ne- in the positive, negative? Wait, hold on. I don't commit sexual, sexual uh, immorality or adultery, right? Because why? Because I want to honor my wife. I, I don't lie to my wife. I don't, all these things like that, which could be seen as a set of rules. No, it's not rule-based. It's because I want to honor this relationship. I want to grow in that. So there's these things, the do's and don'ts that I won't do and won't don't. It's Memorial Day, right? My, um, right? But it isn't for the sake of following the rules or trying to restrain doing something wrong. It's because I want to honor my wife. It's the relationship that I'm in. And so it starts from that, from a relational standpoint, not following rules of do's and don'ts. Because why? Because 
I made a commitment, a vow, right? Like we do with Jesus. When I said I do to Jesus, then it wasn't about sin management. It was about grace. And it was about grace distribution and living that out. And yes, I make mistakes, both with my wife and both with God. And I know that grace takes place of it. But I'm not driven by rules and trying to make something happen. God made it happen, and I'm trying to live that out as best I can. And so this idea of rules or going back to these, the, just these do's and don'ts or, or these good works that can't do it. So he says, the writer says, not laying again this foundation. Then he says, and faith in God. So that's the second point. So if we're, if we're going this way and all of a sudden then we repent, however we've heard the gospel, we finally understood it, we turn away from and we move toward God. This is faith in God. And these are the two foundational elements of Christianity, that we repent from any other system or any other way that won't lead us to him, and then we come to him in faith. And then that faith is meant to grow and mature. And I believe these next four elements are things that are going to be built on that foundation because I believe this is the true foundation of what the writer is talking about, that there's repentance from and there's faith in. The same way that he says you move from immaturity to maturity, you move away from right, repentance from trying to do it on your own or whatever those dead acts would mean, and you have faith in God. He says faith. Right? Faith in what Jesus did in Christ, the redemptive work, the ongoing and future work and activity of God. That we begin to understand these things more and more and live them out and then teach other people as well. And I don't know about you, but for me, one of the ways for me to, to grow in my maturity, one is obviously studying. And if you're discipling other people or leading a Bible study or, or you're doing evangelism, right? Because at some point, you know, you, you want to know what to say, right? But the more and more we put these things into practice, as he's called us to, then the greater and greater we move into maturity. But if we, if we learn the ABCs and just put the book on the shelf and never touch it again— we don't move past that. And so the, our, our faith is meant to grow and mature. And their growing faith would safeguard them against their falling away in the midst of suffering. And that's one of the things the writer is trying to articulate is the more and more you become mature and understand, it won't do away with the suffering, but it, it, will, it, it will protect you or that faith will, will keep you from falling away. And so he gives this warning about laying this foundation again. And he talks further about faith. We looked at this a few weeks ago, right? Now, faith is confident, uh, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because everyone comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Right? So that faith in God, it's what the ancients were commended for. And then that long list of people in this chapter that he'll talk about, that, but they never, it says they never received in this life what was promised to come because they had a hope for a future. And so they lived their life in faith with a hope for the future. And then the writer goes on in, in, back in chapter 6. 
So, right, so repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instruction about baptism, and laying on of hands. And I think about these two. These two have to do with identity and impact, right? Because actually in the, in the original language, it says baptisms. And we know as Christians, there's just one baptism. Some of us maybe got baptized again because we wanted to rededicate or what have you. But that first baptism worked. That's what my, my, my previous pastor would always say, like, all right, I'll, I'll, re, I'll redunk somebody, he would say. But that first baptism was good enough, right? That's what he would say. But in this setting there, there were Jewish cleansings that would go on daily, daily, daily. Or if you think about the, the um, baptism of John the Baptist, they would come out to John the Baptist frequently. And so the writer's reminding them, we're baptized into the person of Jesus Christ. And that's that identity. And then the laying-ons of hands is this idea of impact or influence that meant blessings or commissioning or you pray, put on hands for healing or set people apart to go into ministry. But this idea that out of the identity of who we are in Christ, we bless each other as a community and we set each other apart for works of his service. And so the writer is saying, do I need to reteach you these basic things? baptisms and laying on of hands. Then he moves on to the last two. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this idea of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, again, the, the Jews had a belief of this, right? So there's these shared commonalities that, that they, these readers would have had that, you know, come on, can't we just stay together in these things, right? They, they, that fear of, 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 um, of persecution was was hitting them. And so he hits these last two. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And for those of us who know Jesus, this is that hope that the writer talks about with faith, of hope of things to come, because we shouldn't be afraid of these things. And two separate things, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And if you recall back to the uh, devotional that we that we read back through a couple weeks ago, they added these verses, and so I'll, I'll speak to these too. In Revelation chapter 20, John writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens, and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had, had done and in, in is recorded in these books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And alongside that then, Paul would write to the church in Corinth, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of us should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will survive, will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. 
even though as one escaping through the flames. And there's a reality of things going on here. Two things, right? The resurrection of the dead. We will all rise. And those who have their faith in Jesus Christ will rise to eternal life. And those whose names are not in the book of life will face a severe judgment. It's that same warning that the writer is talking about here. But I think sometimes in our Christianity, we might get confused. You see, there, are, there is two elements to this. That first element of being in the book of life only comes one way. And it's not based by work. It's based by the grace of God that we repent and we say, I believe. And that gets us into the book of life. And now that we are in that, then we live out our life. We live out the truths and the teachings of God through his word for his kingdom. And those are those things that are going to be tested when even we stand before the throne as well, which is what Paul is getting to. And some of us who maybe never moved from immaturity or we decided to use inferior product and build our life upon when we have to stand saved by his grace, book of life written name, but now my life is laid bare and he's going to test everything I did. And if I never moved from immaturity or I used cheap materials, i.e., I wasted my life, it's going to show. And a buddy of mine from my old church says, yeah, at least I'm kind of, you know, I'll make it in. I'm like, you're going to make it in. You're going to smell like charcoal forever. Come on, man. That's, that's what Paul's saying. And, and those are elementary two truths. Those are the basics, right? Don't, don't miss the incredible grace of being saved by his work. But we're not meant to stay right there. We're meant to, to move our lives and to move on, to reach our inner circles, to give. I have, I have little family left in the area. This pretty much the last of my side of the family is moving out of the, the state in the next month. And so yesterday, I, I made an excuse to go see my aunt in Palo Alto and my cousin, um, older cousin who lives there. And so um, I went up to a, a running store, imagine that, in Palo Alto that was closed for the whole of Memorial Day, uh, yeah, Memorial Day weekend. What was up with that? But I called her from there because I didn't want to lie and tell her, hey, I happen to be in your town because I was at this running store. So I called and said, hey, can I swing by? And she said, sure. But, you know, and then she proceeded to tell me that they had a house full of people packing it up, not just my aunt and my cousin who I wanted to talk to. And it just, just wasn't the right uh, setting to have the conversation I've been wanting to have with this cousin for a couple years who needs to know the foundational elements of the faith. And so, um, because he and I have a great connection with music, I, I told him I would come back up when people <laughs> went back home and help him pack up all of his music stuff. Um, and I'm praying with my parents that that is the day that I can come back with a quieter setting and share the gospel with him. Why? Because I, 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 I want to refuse as much as I can to stay in a place of immaturity. I want to grow and be faithful and be fruitful and to build, build, build on things that will last, which are people. The things of this earth are going to burn but the people of this, this earth, they're not meant to burn, 
but unfortunately some of them will. And the more and more I can do to make sure that they at least make an educated choice, that they hear the gospel and they at least know what they're rejecting, as sad as that is, so I can stand one day and as I'm tried, I, I, I pray by the grace of God that I've done, I've built enough that survives. And I say that by the grace of God because this is what the writer goes on to. It says, and God permitting, we will do so. Right? The, the, the writer understood that, that it is God who works in us to bring us to maturity, but it requires us to be active participants, not to be innocent bystanders. And so that's what this language is saying here in that one little sentence, and God permitting, we will do so. It's not some blanket hope of like, I hope God, you know, can be my spotter and help me work out. Like, no, you come into the gym with him and he will help you get in shape. But you got to get that, you got to get to the gym. You got you to step forward. And he is faithful. And then this section ends with this. The writer says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Not a blanket, wishful thinking, like I hope the Raiders ever turn it around. I guess I could say now the Giants. Esteban smiling. It's not a wishful thinking. It's true reality. It's that idea of hope of things that are certain because I know who I'm trusting in. He says, we do not want you to become lazy because that's what they were. That's why they stayed immature but to imitate, imitate those from your leaders. Imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. Right? It's important to, to, to know who we're learning from, who we're walking with, and that's what the writer is saying here. But we're not to be, meant to be lazy. We're not meant to just be staying in this state of the ABCs. Like it or not, we're meant to move on to Shakespeare. And with that, let me pray. Father, I thank you for, again, this incredibly rich book. I thank you for the challenges that you gave me in studying the last couple weeks. I do pray for my brothers and sisters that for that opportunity, as you write in Colossians chapter 4, for my cousin to hear the gospel again. And I pray that they wouldn't receive grace in vain. Lord, each of us in here have an inner circle. God, you've called us. I believe with all my heart you are working in the lives of people and you want to involve us and use us for your kingdom as your ambassadors. God, I pray that we would not be too immature to say no. That as scary as it is to say yes in faith and immaturity, we trust you because God permitting you will build your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to turn now to a time of, of corporate prayer. And, um, and as we do that, um, I'll start us off. And if you want to pray loud enough and just short enough of the things in your heart so we can agree, or if you um, would rather and come over and, and take advantage of the prayer wall, and if there's praises you want to write or prayer requests that you want to uh, 
to write out, you can do that. The elders and staff and leadership get those, and we pray through those through the week. Um, but I want to make sure that you know that that's available for you as well. And then when we're done praying, the worship team will come up, and we will have a chance to worship, plus take communion and give of our author offerings. So I'll open up and pray. And as you uh, feel led, pray out loud, and then I'll close this. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace that you found a way that I could hear it, and I thank you that I responded. God, give us eyes to see the people of our inner circle and give us, or give us the grace to move forward in that.